This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. All about how my mom protects my team from plows. So I'd like to take the place that don't daze me, bro. Eternal is the dirtles, the sneak is the show. In card shops is where we tap black for the lands. On the stack is where we strategize most of our plans. Underground dark red cast ad nause. Stop by force of will plus a storm you just lost. Went into game two thinking gotta go off. Couple lotus petals hit the tabletop. I'm fighting one little counter one mind break trap. Guess you gotta go with goblins without flashback. Flipping Delvers day after day, and Tom McGorth is no longer seeing play. I delved an angler, then I named you a true name, then I swung in for lethal mini progen is a shame. Talas, yo, this is bad. Locking one cost spells on the play like that. Is this what Dex with Aldrazi looking like? Shit, this game's gonna be tight. But wait, I got K Command Edict and all that. Is this the kind of draw I need to steal this game back? They got a thought, not Cavern to Smasher. I hope I can hack it in the winning in bracket. I luck sacked to the best card off the top of my deck, and I yelled for a judge. Judge! I looked at my board, and I saw it's not there. I didn't be bored. I'm a wizard in pairs. Hello, and welcome to Eternal Dirtles. I'm your host, Zach Clark, and with me, as always, Nathan Golia and Phil Blackman. Phil, Nate, how's it going? Good. Same. Awesome. So, what do we got this week, guys? We have a uh, top eight finish by one of us. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. All I thought I could do was rap, and then here I am, top eighting, big old 1K events. I, uh, but I did it. I did it with a brew, man. I did it with. Uh, I did it with Lazavnot. So, how at your boy? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm excited to hear about this. Uh, so the Lazavnot deck is basically what Stifle Knot with Lazavs instead of uh, what? So I mean, I've been trying to make this deck work for the last like three months to see if I could play it for SCGQs. Um, and I kept running into walls where it's just like you have a bunch of bad cards in your deck because they're like combo pieces, but even if you get your combo off, you wouldn't kill them in one shot because you'd be like, all right, I'm going to make a 12-12 and attack you, and they'd be like, all right, I'll go to 8 and then untap and kill you. Um, So I've been trying out different versions of the deck. I started out where I was like, okay, this is going to be, uh, you know, just a... a, I tried a bug list where I was playing like Berserk and... Uh, Sylvan Library to help assemble and execute the combo in one shot. Uh, and then I also got Leovold, which is a good target for Lazav to turn into. I've tried Grixis versions where I had Grim Lava Mancer and Young Pyromancer and like red board cards. Uh, that And those two creatures are also good targets for Lazav to turn into. Um, I tried an Esper version where I had Mentors to turn into. And all of those were not good. And then I... Uh, recognized that I had problems with Lazav being a legend against Caracas, so I started playing a couple of Wastelands, so I was like this blue-black deck that had a couple of Wastelands to deal with the thing. Uh, then there was at one point where I was like, you know what, I'm trying drawing too, way too many Dreadnoughts. This, this card is not what I want to be doing, even though I need to find one uh, all game for my deck to work. So there was one show where we were talking about having Entombs in a, in a, a different style of deck that isn't just reanimator so i tried a foreign tomb one dreadnought version um and that deck was actually good like it felt like way better because you weren't drawing as many dead cards you were just drawing tutors the problem though is the second my opponent saw an entomb they brought in all of their graveyard hate (laughs) which isn't something that people were doing before because if they did i had ways to play around it but if i only have one dreadnought and they removed it after i entombed for it then I don't actually have a combo with Lazav. It's just a bad card. Uh, and then I got to this list, uh, which was essentially, I kept uh, playing other decks that just happened to have Stifle in them. 
It's like, this is a Dreadnought and a Stifle, and then these are other cards that are good. And instead, I leaned uh, this new build of the deck just into essentially what a Stifle deck wants. So I'm on four Wasteland, all the Stifles, obviously, with the Dreadnoughts. Just like, I incidentally have this Denial Package, uh, this Mana Denial Package. So I'm like this low-to-the-ground, blue-black control deck that just happens to be able to destroy Eldrazi because you make a bigger threat than them. Um, and so then, uh, sorry, that's my computer going wild. And then that's what I did this past uh, 1K. I played essentially a like a a controlly mana denially st- sort of uh, Lazavnot list. And I can ship you guys the list for the show notes. Yeah, I mean, we'll it's still a work. It's obviously still a work in progress. I mean, that that was my first like legit tournament taking it into, uh, and it just happened to play really well. And it's a story too because I thought I was like, okay, this is another theory testing in the design of this deck and you know all, all the times we ever talk about oh we're gonna brew this deck and we're gonna explore it and, you know it's like um nate you with you doing arc light phoenix and then yeah other people taking the reins and then you know callum and the 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 people that have been working on arc light are just like actually making that deck real and legit and just like finding like the two the the things in between that need to make it function um but you were right on buried alive arc light being good enough um Technically, so, Callum was right about that, because I actually didn't think it was good enough until he started playing it. Yeah. But I know what you mean. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just remember that you were, like, brewing with it with, like, all kinds of shenanigans. Yeah. And you were like, I think there's something here. I think we just need to explore it a little bit more. And then you moved on to other things. But then other people who were listening to the cast, like, continued doing it. And then it just became an actual contender. And it's one of the decks that I'm considering for Syracuse. You know, it's, like, yeah. it's pretty wild. Well, um, What's interesting about this deck is I don't I haven't checked to see how many people have tried the combo yet, but it, it's very similar to the Arclight deck in some ways, in that you have like you just said like cards that sort of synergize with your plan anyway. So you have like Stifle being a good card just in general, Wasteland, and then you have this package, right? But then you have this super like over the top way to win, as opposed to just like pecking away uh, over multiple turns. You can really sort of compress the amount of turns you need to win. And the Phoenix deck does, does the same thing, where you just have cards that are good with your combo, like Thoughtseize and Cabal Therapy, and then if you fire off enough of those, you can also make a you know a significant board presence that closes the game out super fast, rather than pecking away. Yeah, the other the, the cool thing I when I was actually like going through the motions with the Arc like deck and playing with it, it's the the problems that I ran into a lot with it were you get hell bent a lot of the time just to put twelve power into the air, and if that's if that's good enough, great. But if it's not, then you're kind of stuck on nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing I do like about it, even though it's a blue deck that doesn't have force of will or a combo deck that kills you in one turn, unless you know you get your birds off early enough, is that you're like half of a storm deck where you only need to hit storm three and the end of your chain is buried alive. Well, yeah. And I mean, like that's what I'm saying with this deck is sort of the same way, right? Um like you've got like this sort of incidental thing that you can do, or did you, you did you have turns where you just like turn one, you know, do a thing, turn two, make Lazav, turn three, attacking for twelve. Can you beat this by the night of the next turn? Oh, you know? dude, I would do it even like there there are right now the the function of the of the list that it currently is where it's a you know it's got the stifle wasteland mana denial package that like you know rug decks sort of have is your main plan has been to always make Lazav the Dreadnought. You're not trying to make a, a, a Stifle Knot. You just have that option. But there are hands where you're like, all right, yeah, I'm just going to turn to make a, a, a Dreadnought off the Stifle. And the way that that also is, is nice in this deck is I'm able to fetch an island, play around their Wasteland, and then play my own Wasteland and, and do that combo because you can cast your Dreadnought off your Wasteland. Right. Yep. So there were multiple times across this tournament where, yeah, I had a nut draw of just make a 12-12 on turn two against decks that can't deal with it. And I did it off of basic island and wasteland. And like having the nut draw of just being able to make a 12-12 where sometimes that's going to be good enough on its own. You know, sometimes you may have the combo and you know it's against a deck that's not going to be, it's not going to be good enough because they have Fatal Push or Abrupt Decay or whatever. But against the ones that do, like, the, the one thing that I found against, uh, for... The one thing that I'm really surprised by this deck is, even though the majority of the deck is one-drops, it plays against Eldrazi really well. Like, so far, every time I've ever played Eldrazi, i felt like it's a buy, as long mm-hmm. as I'm not just, I, I'm not just like, you know, five or six one-drops in hand that don't interact with their turn one chalice and I'm on the draw. Like, yeah. aside from that, 
the games are a breeze because they have no way to deal with the dreadnought and you are you make the dreadnought cheaper than they make any of their creatures right and i think that Sorry, I'll let you finish. No, go ahead, go ahead. The thing is, we're seeing is this kind of, this sort of deck evolve a little bit. We see it at least sort of hybridized. You know, we talked about some a little bit like the spectrum of fair to unfair. And like, I don't consider Phoenix or this to be necessarily unfair decks in the classical manner. But like, you're never making nine power or 12 power on turn two or three without losing another, like going down a card, right? And in that right, way, you yeah. have that like miniature, you're, you're all in. You're going to go down a couple cards to do this, right? But you're going to create this board presence that can be good enough, right? I mean, in Tomb Reanimate, it's almost kind of the same way. In Tomb, it's just like discarding a card, then Reanimate gets you your guy. And if, you know, it's not, you know, if, it's, if it's a card that can be removed, then yeah, you've been two for one. But you know, these, the, 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 the converse of that is that you, it's hard to two for one that particular situation. Yeah, I mean, uh, like generally, right. generally cards come in after sideboard that make that make this a little bit harder to pull off, like a braid and whatnot. Right. So, I mean, like, you can steal a lot of game ones with very strong hands, but you're also going to have that trade off of sometimes your hand is not going to match up well against theirs. There's interesting tension, but we're seeing this kind of deck grow in popularity. I think. Did I tell you guys the 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 like one of the the wins I had because a player didn't understand how the deck worked? That was really funny. <laughs> it was also that, but no, you didn't. You didn't tell us. So I was playing. I was at the Jersey GP. The, I was playing in side events, uh, just trying out different versions of Lazav. And I'm playing against a Nick Fit player in the last round of our side event. And he's playing Arena Rector, and I have a Lazav, and I can perform the combo. Right, I can make a twelve twelve, but like I need to be able to punch through, and I need it to survive. So he goes, he, he top decks Arena Rector, Arena Rector. I'm like, son of a bitch, I need to fade this draw step. All right, you do you. Like, I expected him to go like search up like Nickel Bolas or something. And he's like, all right, cast this thing, Frexy Arena, sack it away, I have infinite mana. I'm going to get this Ugin uh, minus the table, uh, or minus two Wrath the Table. And I'm like, oh no, homie. I'm turning this Lazav into a 12-12. You Wrath our table except my 12-12. And he was like, wait, what? And I'm like, this is a colorless artifact. Turns out the format isn't soft to a resolved Ugin. And I could win that game. That's uh, I actually lost a game of Vintage where I ultimated an Ugin. But yes, yeah, that's a cool, that's the kind of thing. You got you to gotta know what's going on with the board, right? It was great. Um, uh, now, granted, that's not going to, you know, you, you, you remember those wins with, with joy in your heart. But you know that they don't come that often. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is like right now I'm, I, I'm legitimately considering that uh, since looking at a bunch of the legacy challenges and how much uh, like what's been top aiding and what the field currently looks like. The Lazab deck is bad against a lot of things where you can't afford any dead draws like the second dreadnought you find is not good unless you compare it with a stifle and. It's not necessarily the best card against Swords to Plowshares decks. It, I mean, it is. like th Those games are just like really intricate. You have to be you know, lining up your resources properly. You have to like be playing around the best things that they can be doing. Dark Confidant is just the best card in Legacy. Um, but the, the deck is so good against Eldrazi. It's, I'm like, I'm not even overselling that. Like, I just never drop a game to Eldrazi unless it's like the Nutter Butter Chalice draw where I have nothing but one drops. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there was a game where I played, uh, I just forced this challenge and then made a 12 12. And he had to consider do I hold back my mimic so I can block and double dismember it? And I'm like, that's not a winning line. There's also, like, you know? there's also the, the situation where, like, if you have out, if you can get out Lazab after a turn one chalice, you can just play your dreadnought, let it get countered, and then make it a 12 12 and then attack. Yeah. Like, that's fine, well, too. Well, but the thing is, is that, like, <laughs> Dreadnought, you often just will cast it to let it die so Lazav can turn into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was an interesting game where I was playing... Play. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm bouncing around. I'll tell you guys, like, the, well, the record that I, I, I lost to... First round, I lost to, a, like, this bug control variant that had, like, uh, a backdoor reanimator package. So it was, like, playing... It was, it was essentially, like, that old Grixis 
Pyromancer list that just had a Grizzle brand in it so it could reanimate it? Yeah. Do you remember this? Except he was Bug. Yeah. So he was like loaded on abrupt decays and fatal pushes and in Leovolds, and I was just like, well, my deck just doesn't do anything. And I'm like, oh man, another tested thing down the toilet. Uh, and then I proceeded to go into the next rounds where I'm playing against like actual, like tier one, tier 1.5, like, you know, uh, decks in the format. And, you know, they were good interactive games, but I was actually doing really well against them. So it was like Eldrazi, Rug, DNT, and it was an, a really interesting point against Rug, where uh, he's drawing a bunch of permission and a lot of lands, but not a lot of threats. And so we're, we're parrying back and forth, and we get to the stage where he's just got, like, you know, all of his lands in play or whatever, and I have two stifles in my hand. And that was, like, over the course of cantripping and whatnot. Yeah. But I realized I can't convert these stifles into denial anymore. They're no longer disruption against this deck in the point in the game where we're at. It has to be turning into a 12-12. So we bait back and forth, and it comes to a point where I'm, I bait a bunch of spells just so I can get to the point where I can stick a Dreadnought and then try and double-stifle it through. <laughs> Disruption. Yeah. And we get to that point where I him him, and he has a force in hand, and I'm thinking that the, the, you know, he's got like six cards in hand. So I'm thinking I'm going to him him, and he's just going to force pitch a card, and that's going to be enough to get the force out of the way so I can try and stick this double uh, stifle in case he has an additional counter spell because um, I was missing land drop so I was the one who had to be proactive and he just lets it go so he lets the him go and it hits one of the it hits vapor snag it hits one of the ways that he can deal with the, the dreadnought so I cast the dreadnought he lets it resolve trigger on the stack I stifle it he counters the first stifle I, ca I stifle it again he's like oh yeah you got a 12-12 and then that 12-12 wins that game and it was the first time, after playing this deck for like three months, or however long I've been playing it for, it was the first time where the correct line would have been to counter the actual Dreadnought. Huh. Because yeah. if he counters the actual Dreadnought and the trigger never happens, I'm stuck with two Stifles in my hand. But it's, it's like so it? unintuitive oh. to be like, since the Dreadnought will die on its own, you're trying to get the, the value two for one. But because it hit the table, I was able to double Stifle it through. And we were in a position where, like it was reasonable to think that my hand would be a bunch of stifles since I hadn't played one yet. And I hadn't used, uh, any of, I hadn't like shown him any dreadnoughts. So like having those two cards in my hand or multiples would have been reasonable. And that was the first time coming across that scenario. And it was really interesting, but that was another example of like, that's a tough decision to make. You know, I have to counter the dreadnought, which is so unintuitive, but I, that was another game where I won because like, you're, you are playing a deck where you understand how to play the deck against the meta, and the meta doesn't know how to play the deck against you, or theirs against you. And so you just get these, like, incremental value points, and that's just, like, I don't know. I, like, that, that's, it's it's tough for me to tell I, if the deck has actually been performing well enough for me, or if I'm actually just getting those types of points, and they wouldn't be there if they knew how to play against the deck. You know what I'm saying? I will say one thing, though, about that particular situation. The hint of Torak just blows up whatever plan your opponent had, because your opponent was basically betting... At that point, if they had two cards to pitch to him, plus a, you have, how did they counter the first stifles? Another force? Well, well, if they force pitching a a, a, a card in their hand, then in response to a stifle, they, he could have like vapor snagged, assuming I didn't hit the vapor snag, or he didn't pitch the vapor snag. Yeah. You know, like it, it becomes a removal spell in that position. Um, but he had double. What you're saying is they had either had he might he there's not really a card that can counter a dreadnought uh, other than force in a rug deck. Other than days, but days is very it's very hard to counter a dreadnought with days because it's a one mana spell. So I'm saying like if he, you know, had double force and he's and and vapor snag and a way and like a spell pierce to stop the stifle, I think he's more than happy to let that play out because he's not. I don't think countering the dreadnought is really his plan, you know. Yeah. And like, but the the, the point we're trying to make there is that like you have this compact combo, right? That if you can him them <laughs> before you, you go for the combo, I mean, that's just haywire. You may think, think like, oh, this is a really soft combo. It's soft removal. It's soft to counter spell. It's soft to all this stuff. But him is such a powerful card on its own. If you can put him to Torok in your combo deck, look how far ahead you can get. I mean, it's been in and out of the Phoenix decks for that reason. You know, just like the ability to completely force these, these terrible decisions on the part of your opponent because of the random two for one.
That's true. Hey, Zach, yeah. why, why, you should put him to Turok in your Infect deck. I, I like that idea a lot, but uh, I just don't think I can support it uh, ma mana-wise. Yeah, <laughs> Unfortunately. I wish I could. I mean, I, honestly, like, the thing that de that the Infect deck seems to be missing right now is, is like, a Thought Seize. <laughs> Like, just look at my opponent's thought. hand, see what's going on, remove remove one of the cards that's going to be a problem for me to deal with. Yeah. I mean, that being able to play that kind of, I mean, that's why Storm has been so successful, despite the fact that they print a new card in every set to try and beat it. <laughs> like, well, it's you know, like you could have you're 15... looking at their hand and you're taking... You know, you could have 15 sideboard cards against Storm. It's like, Storm still has to deal with them in the exact same ways, you know? Like, yeah. Right. That's but, a, I think that that's, but, but I think like what you're, the situation you had was interesting, though, and I wasn't trying to diminish it. But I think that the him is the card that takes the idea of countering the Dreadnought off the table because, you know, it's interesting in that way because, like, you can't really counter it another way. So you're, either, you're, like, you're, you're basically betting, and if you've got, like, a way to counter and a force, you know, or a way to counter and the Vapor Snag, just hope it doesn't hit everything, you know? And yeah. I think that's a very powerful play to have because you're really putting them to the test right then. Um, whereas a thought sees would have only taken one card and maybe you would not been able to find the opening, you know, at that point too. But it's interesting. I don't know. Um, I think the deck is, I think the way you, you talked about developing the deck shows how you get to those points where you're like, yeah, my deck has stifle and wasteland and days and him in it. And then I just make a 12, 12, right? <laughs> so here's what I'm doing. And then, the question is, like, what do you? What happens when you draw two twelve twelves in your opening hand? And then, you know, that's the variance that pops up, right? Yeah, that's the fail rate, right? Yeah. The other card that I've been trying out, I haven't gotten a chance to test that out enough yet, but I'm going to continue trying it before uh, for the next couple of weeks until the SVG is uh, Terramander is also a great card for Lazav to turn into. Yeah. Oh, because you can put, you can adapt it. And then you can turn it into something else. Yeah. And uh, then also, incidentally, giving having the flying keyword is also good if you just need to attack through blockers. Boy, this um, is, this is interesting. It, it's shaking out. Yeah. Yeah. So you having Terramander means that like it's before you couldn't use any of the Delve guys because you know you're never actually going to have seven mana on the table to turn your Lazav into a Gurmag. But and then all of the other, you know, like Cryptic Serpent and those cards, those are all really expensive CMCs that then have cost reduction. But Terramander is the first one that is essentially of that class of, you know, Tombstalker style cards, but actually has a low CMC. So it's good with Dark, it's good with Dark Confidant. You're not going to take too much damage. It's good as another spell that you can, or another creature that Lazab can turn into if, you know, they remove your Dreadnoughts or you, you know, just want an additional threat. It has a good keyword for Lazav to turn into when you want to, you know, do shenanigans like turn it into a flyer, attack, and then when they say no blocks, turn them into a 12-12. Uh, that's what I was using Strix before. A 12-12 with four plus one plus one counters if you sequence that correctly, by the way. Yeah, assuming you have enough, uh, you're at that point in the game where you have enough uh, instants and sorceries in your yard to adapt, yeah. Um, I've only been trying it as a one-of. I may, like, switch it up. I haven't gotten to play with it enough to know if it's an actual legitimate inclusion or if it's just taking up space, but... Um, it does help the fact that the deck is fairly threat light if you can't make a 12-12. Right. And the thing, the thing that's interesting, too, about this is when you have Terramander and you have Stifle and Dreadnought, that those, you've, built this, you've built this around Lazav's ability, but it's not like if the Lazav gets whatever, uh, what do people play? What's that card with, with uh, Kier, uh, Kieran Nalar on it? Um, lost Legacy. It's not like if your uh, thing gets a Lost Legacy, you lose. No, oh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if you can Lost Legacy in. You can. It's not an artifact on land. But like the point is, like, yeah, you still like, okay, great, thanks for getting rid of those. I'm just gonna like beat you down with this five five, and then while well, you turn my redundant stifles into a twelve twelve to finish you off. <clears throat> while you're yeah, getting him, you're like also... while you're getting him, the wasteland hit at the same time. Yeah, the deck being able to support both like the mana denial package plus him is pretty solid. Um, the other, the other stuff, like for anybody who's being like, oh, why not play JVP or Delver or one of those guys? Uh, Lazav can't copy into anything that transforms. Yeah. It, it's a weird ruling where if you don't have a transform side, it just won't. Um, but in the case <laughs> of JVP, flip over and be and just say magic card. Well, it's weird because <laughs> like I asked, the, I asked the judge, I was like, judge, if I copy a Nor in the Wary with my Lazav, 
and he exiles himself. Will yeah. he come back or will he stay exiled? And they're like, oh, he'll come back, but he'll come back as just Lazav. He won't come back as Norin. And I'm like, oh, okay. But if I copy JVP and discard a card with five cards and then, you know, he has the exile transform ability, what happens? And you go, oh, well, he can't transform, so he'll just stay exiled. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, no good. And you return it transformed. So, okay, we're going to get into a bit of the ruled weeds here. The reason Norman the Wary, the reason Norman the Wary trick works is because the return it back at the end of turn is part of the exile clause of the card. It's like, it basically says return it back, return. It, it also says exile. Yeah, it's sort of one outside. thing. Because doesn't Lazav keep its name? It does. So it's, yeah, so it's going to say exile Lazav, then return it, you know, as Lazav, right? And, but it's going to, you know, but it's not going to have co the copy ability of Warnoff. When JVP return it to the battlefield transformed into a different card name, that's why it doesn't work, because that, it can't satisfy that clause. It's really bizarre, but yeah, I think that's correct. Yeah, that bizarre shit makes it so I can't play JVPs in my deck. Yeah, yeah. right. Well, now, quick I mean, question. How many Dark Confidants did you run? All four. Yeah, so here's another another similarity to the Phoenix deck, and I'm not trying to make this about like a, a second Phoenix show in a row, but I just find that the strategy is so, so interesting in, in the similarities, is that Dark Confidant is just like, you know, worst comes to worst, I just play this and draw two cards every turn and win, right? Like, I mean, it, it, again, it's just like a good card that you can put in this deck. And I think that's really interesting because um, Dark Confidant has been underplayed since Grimag Angler, you know, and Dell became a thing, right? You can't play it as your backup plan in Reanimator for obvious reasons. And you can't play it, and um, Storm doesn't usually play it anymore as like a sideboard plan because it's got too much other stuff to deal with. But it, it is that kind of card that's still hanging out there. If you're a brewer and you're in black, Dark Confidant, just, you know, worst comes to worst, you play it and draw two cards a turn, right? I mean, I, mean I, I have found Confidant to just be unbelievably good. And yeah, I, I, mean, I mean, in this drawing deck two where cards a turn is obviously going, going to uh, put you just so far ahead of, of a fair, of like a fair matchup, as long as they're not killing it. But you're also in a situation where like if you had just drawn your Lazav situation, you'd be in a, you'd be in a pretty good position to win too there. Where I find the Dark Confidant in this kind of deck shines is in the post-board games because their hand is going to be full of cards that do not interact with, here's a creature on the board drawing me two cards a turn. They're going to bring in their surgicals. They're going to bring in their bounce, you know, random stuff like that, right? And that's that's virtual card advantage. Tormod's Crypt, you know, things like that. They're in your they're in their hand. And meanwhile, you just put this thing out. Well, you, you thought seize the fatal push, and then they've got like, ah, hi, but you can't stop all these other things I've got to stop your combo. But they just play Dark Confidant in turn two. Yeah, so, you just have your classic Jun starts of discard into Confidant. Yeah, and then you draw enough cards to overwhelm their hate, and then the, the, the Confidant gets out of control. I think that's that's a, the, the ability to play that card is is very good in, in a deck like this. And the other night, I played Phoenix, and I flipped a Buried Alive, and then I flipped a, on the next turn, I flipped a uh, Phoenix, so I took seven over two turns, and that sucked. And sometimes you're going to flip Force of Will in your deck, but hey, you know most of the time you're not, and uh, and it's gonna ride. It's gonna take you right to the end. So I think that, I mean, you said Dark Confidant was great. I don't know if you have anything more to say about it, but um, well, Dark Confidant is also really has been very impressive in that it gives. Like there were times where I would, like I went fetch go, like polluted Delta go. They took their turn, cracked a fetch, I stifled it, untapped, played a confidant, and then got to untap, which yeah. obviously, like, we're way ahead at that point, right? Yeah, um, super far ahead. But then when I was uh, cantripping, I actually cantripped away uh, a dreadnought because I didn't have a piece to pair with it yet because I'm like, okay, my plan right now is just going to be this sort of, like, this blue-black low-to-the-ground control deck. And it's like, well, well I'll make Tempo a 12 card when it's convenient for me now because the game plan is I'm just going to start burying him under card advantage until they deal with this confidant. So he becomes a whole different strategy on his own because while you're messing with their mana, which, you know, I wasn't able to do in previous iterations of the deck because I wasn't playing as many wastelands. Um, but when you're messing with their mana and then you just have this, like, cheap card advantage engine that you can then protect and, 
you know, use, I'm, you know, I'm playing 12 cantrips in the deck. I'm playing all the preordains, all the ponders, all the brainstorms. You know, you really get to piece together the plan that you want to stick to uh, if you can find it early enough as an effective tool against the opponent that you're playing against. So yeah. Dark, Dark Confidant is just like the backbone of a different plan. And in a deck that's like very low to the ground like this, it's like that that plan has been very effective across a lot of matchups where, you know, just raw resources are rare to come by in yeah. uh, miracles in Grixis decks, you know? Yeah. No, I think it's uh, I think it's an important card. I'd I, I like to see it getting played. Um, I had a question for you. Uh, I, I just a quick thing on the Arclight stuff, because um, I was looking at builds of Arclight and saw that there was uh, a bunch of builds with Confidant. Yeah. And it made me go, what's what about those decks? Do you expect the confidant in those decks to survive more than three turns? Um, the confidant draws fire, and if it does, and well, the other thing that we have is the ability to cast on turn one with four well, dark rituals and three lotus petals. Sure, and that is often the thing that you do. Like well, if you're on the play, was, does how does it stack up against like because of the curve of the deck? Yeah. Barring that you hit a land on one of two flips, assuming the Confidant stays alive for two turns, uh -huh. what gives Confidant the nod over Night's Whisper in the Arclight deck when Night's Whisper is a spell that gives you the cards immediately when you want to be three-spelling in the same turn? Because the Arclight deck only plays the 15 lands and three Lotus Petals. You can't really you can't really have a two-mana sorcery be part of your... I mean, like, Buried Alive is, but you can't have multiple, multiple two-plus-mana cards be part of your combo, I don't think. Okay, um, so this, this was a, this wasn't a card that was overlooked. This was a card that we thought about and then just was like car, Confidant's just the better pick. Yeah, Confidant, and also because Confidant is an orthogonal plan to the Arclight plan, it it does like in game one, your your best bet is that you go like land Lotus Petal, Confidant, or land or land Ritual, Thoughtseize, your removal, like Confidant, right? And then next turn you're going to draw two cards, and that's going to balance out the fact that you cast Ritual, um, or Petal. Um, but it's orthogonal to the other to the other plan and um, can sacrifice to Cabal Therapy if you need to get rid of it, and that that is your free spell as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, it's just been great at recovering from these sort of miniature all-in plans that you go on. So if you, because you're going to dump cards and if they like figure out a way to deal with it or they have a way to deal with it, then okay, well I'll just play this and now I refill. And I think that that's where I see it, the same sort of role in your deck. This, like, is, this is slowly becoming the uh, Dark Confidant is still amazing podcast. <laughs> well, I think yeah, it I'm is looking because prices. I don't think... Yeah, right? <laughs> right. Well, Dark Confidant, you know, the reason... There, there's a couple of reasons why it fell out in Legacy. I think one was that yeah. untapping with it is hard. And in a, in a format where there's lots of removal. Two is that you're playing a lot of, you know, the Delve cards in black decks. So you can't really, you know... If, if you're going to be sitting back under it for a while, you, you can't you can't like sit back on it if you're going to be flipping a seven, you know, and multiple fives with forces. And um, I just don't think that these decks had been. I don't. I don't think. And again, this is where I say that that, that Callum really opened my eyes when I first talked to him about the Phoenix deck. Like I didn't think that you could do this, but I think you. I think you can. I think you can have this like reasonably powerful compact combo. That sometimes blows up in your face, or sometimes you do it and then pass, and then you get stormed. But other times you don't, and that's enough to go over the top of the of the decks that are all fair, and you have enough disruption to beat the decks that are all unfair. You're in the middle, and Dark Confidant is a good card for refilling when you're in the middle, just because it's an orthogonal plan that also wins the game. I think the fact that it attacks for two is is important as well. I mean, it does attack for two. Yeah, there would be times where the, my confidant would get them closer to lethal for my twelve twelve, and that would be enough. Yeah, yeah, they might, they might, <laughs> that might be their plan. Like, you know, I'm gonna let, I'm gonna take some hits off this thing while I sculpt the way to go over the top of what they're doing. But they've taken enough hits, and you're drawing enough cards. So. Yeah, I mean that's also the thing about this card is like it's it's hard to decide how to play around it. You know, when you have a creature back and your opponent swings in. And you're like, do I block this or do I try and like see if he hits like four more damage and that might be enough to win? You know, like you know that your opponent's deck is built in a way that like he shouldn't die to this card. But when they attack in and you have a creature back, you're like, uh oh, does he want me to block it or does he want to me to take damage? There's it's a lot of uh, 
there, there's like a mini game involved with Dark Confidant when when you're uh, when you're uh, on defense. There's a yeah. bunch of tension and drama with Dark Confidant, which also makes it just a fun card to play with when you get into a uh, a nearly lethal life total. But I love it when my opponents are like, you know what? My plan is for your Dark Confidants to kill you. And I'm yeah, like, of course. dude, my <laughs> deck is built to ensure that that never happens unless I'm at exactly one life and have no cantrips. Yeah, no, you're totally right. I mean, it's, I was, I was going to say that. It's also fun to play. It's a fun card to play because there's tension and there's gamesmanship and it's not just all upside all the time. And, you know, it's a throwback feeling to like, ooh, maybe I get, you know, two to three cards out of this or maybe it kills me, you know? Yeah. But, you know, uh, at least I'm having fun. Quick side Looking note, up. this episode is brought to you by Bob Marr. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> well, no, I'm really, I'm interested in giving it a test and working on the Terramander segment of it, Phil. I'm going to, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take a look at it uh, this week. I'm on I'm uh, out of town right now, but uh, when I get a chance to be back and play more, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a look. I, yeah, I, I mean, I I haven't had as many reps with this version, the the like the lean hard on stifle version of the deck for mana disruption. I haven't played as many games as I'd like to against uh, like miracles and other sorts of plowshares decks. Um, I've gotten in a couple of games against DNT, uh, but uh, I would like more practice against those before like telling you if the board is good or not. So. The board well, is still suspect based on like the ever shifting builds of the deck. Yeah, well, stifle is just a, or not stifle. Um, sideboards. Sorry, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm uh, got s words on my brain mixed up. St sideboards in this kind of deck are really hard because you're trying to figure. There are times you're like, okay, well, I need to. I see this card a lot, but you're you're figuring out if your plans are good against that kind of deck. More often, like people often say again about the art like that, like, oh, you know, everyone plays baleful strix, like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, they just come back, right? So I don't need to put like stuff in my sideboard to beat that. And you, but you might think that when you start building it, and then you have to figure that, you know, figure out a way around that. I yeah. think Terramander is a really interesting idea. I love the idea of Terramander. You, you have, like making a Lazab that you trans that you that you transform, uh, adapt, and then you swing. They can't block before damage. Change it to the Dreadnought, and now you've got a sixteen sixteen. <laughs> Generally, that's enough to get people like you're that's gonna take a little to bit of damage. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's and it's like you get the last. All you do it's a you know it's a one card combo. I mean, well, it's not really one card combo because you have the creatures in your graveyard getting in there somehow. But like, yeah, it's just really interesting. I mean, you can play buried alive in the. You can play buried alive in this deck. You bury alive. Oh, you're, this, you're, this, is, this has just been everybody listening. This has just been the long road to getting to the point that Lazav and Arclight are really the same deck. No, no, it's not that. No, it does not though, because you bury alive your Lazav, your Dreadnought, and your Terramander. You untap, you unearth, and then you go to town. It's like the uh, the Phyrex, uh, the Phyrexian ooze. What's that card called? Necrotic ooze. Necrotic ooze. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Except you don't have to have like um, Phyrexian Devourer in your deck. No, no I mean, that's, that's probably bad, but I'm just saying that that's there for you. I have uh, experimented much of time with uh, Unearth and Reanimate in the deck, and it is as good as you think it is. Um, I have not tried to find a world to combine them with the uh, Mana Denial Stifly version of the deck because I was cutting some number of Strixes to fit in some other cards, mm -hmm. and so I thought it would be worse, but there's probably still enough room for you know one or two reanimates and then you just incidentally also get to have the okay i'm gonna discard your threat reanimate it and kill you that way right exactly that's the death shadow decks you know maybe the death shadow deck when we had ben freeman on you know after the pro tour last year maybe that's where this really started where it's like yeah this isn't always gonna work but when it works it's gonna really work and if it really works enough you can win just like i'm i'm buying tempo in different ways than we traditionally think of because Legacy is such a tempo-focused format. So, I, I don't know. I'm really intrigued. I'm really intrigued by that. The Terramander thing I had not thought of, and now I'm, now I'm too far for it. Let me tell you something, brother. You're here listening to this Eternal Dirtles podcast, but what you need to do is go over to Eternal Dirtles Patreon www.patreon.com slash eternal turtles and show your support brother yeah <laughs> uh 
Uh, I wanted to also talk about. Uh, so I listened to uh, uh, Eric Virgo and uh, and Cyrus Corman Gill's uh, podcast this week, and uh, it was it was great. And I wanted to talk about that a little bit. Top down. Yeah. 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 So top down, top down legacy. I think this is their seventh or eighth episode. Uh, um, they had a really great, uh, you know, just a great evergreen episode about like how to prepare for a larger tournament and what they do to prepare for larger tournaments. And, and that got into a discussion about having a sideboard guide. Um, and I, I really, uh, part of that really spoke to me and I spent the week like kind of messing around with, um, uh, you know, getting some feedback from people about about how to sideboard, get a sideboard guide going for uh, for Infect. Uh, assuming that, I, I mean, I think I'm still definitely playing that for uh, for SEG, but I wanted to kind of uh, you know use use that uh, that that concept, and, and I went on to Reddit and I talked to a bunch of people, and and uh, you know I, I think uh, just being able to like kind of bounce ideas off of people and also ha- being prepared for these tournaments is pretty smart actually. Yeah, when we did the men- we were working on the mentor deck last year. I made a big sideboard guide for it, and it was great. Except that my deck didn't operate in the actual tournament, but <laughs> like the, in the lead up, the sideboard guide was really helpful. And I think I, I I agree with you that Cyrus and Eric do these great evergreen episodes. I actually haven't listened to that one yet, but I did listen to their previous episode, which was about just getting into vintage and why they love vintage. And that was just that just got me so excited, you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, definitely like. They do a great job of these sort of like big concepts that are universal. You can always go back and listen to them at any time in your uh, playing career, really. Um, and it's like, that out of that. yeah, the, th- the thing is, is sometimes you need that reminder. Like, I know sideboard guides are good. Like, it wasn't the first time I'd heard, hey, sideboard guide, that's a smart idea. But like, you know, you deal with a lot of stuff, or I personally do, deal with a lot of stuff going on in my life that's not magic. Uh, and, and so sometimes those little, those little like, uh, nuggets of wisdom get sort of lost in the fold and you're like, okay, I've got to figure out how to get there. I've got to figure out, you know, where am I staying? What deck am I playing? You know, all these things, all these things that go into, you know, just go, just doing a large event. And then, you know, you get into round three and you're like, oh man, like, what do I take out against this deck? And what do I put in? And like, why do I have 16 sideboard, you know, 16, uh, why do I have six sideboard cards that want to come in and only three cards that want to come out, you know, that sort of stuff. So I think that's, uh, it, it's an intelligent episode. Uh, and, and I think if you, if, if you, uh, play at larger events or if you play at smaller events, even if you, if you have a particular deck that you play, you should definitely check out that episode. It was really, it was really well done. Well, I think that too, it's like, we're talking about with, with Phil's deck. You know, you don't know. You, the, the thing you have to do is you got to do it in real time. I got to do a better job of this myself. You're like, okay, I played in this event or whatever, MTGO League, right? This was my deck list. This is who I played. This is how I sideboard. And you go back after the fact and you have to say, like, was this the most effective use of my sideboard space? Was this the most effective use of my sideboard in the game? Yeah. And you got to refine it over time. Like, um, I think you're, what you said is very relatable because I get that all the time. Like, I go to my sideboard after a match and I rip 10 cards out of it and I'm like, look through my deck. I'm like, no, I'm not taking 10 cards out here. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and then you got to evaluate every card in the moment. The, the nice thing about kind of discussing that, that with other people too was I saw different cards that people take out in, in certain matchups uh, on the play and on the draw that like I just wouldn't have, I, I, it, was, it was a thought I didn't have. Like, uh, one one of the revelations I picked up was like removing a couple of uh, noble hierarchs, uh, depending on whether or not you're on the player on the draw, or or whether or not they're even that good in that matchup. And and noble hierarch was not even a card that I thought to ever take out. Yeah. Oh, that's a really interesting. Yeah, that's also you know, play draw matters a lot. Like we said, tempo oriented format, where there are times I take something out because I'm like. You know, two, it's a two-mana thing, and I'm on the draw in this matchup, but I, I'm not tapping out on turn two. Yeah. Like, there's no conceivable world where I'm tapping out on turn two. So maybe instead of four young power managers, I go down to two, because I'm not going to play it till later. And I need those other two young power managers to be more impactful cards in the matchup earlier on. What always happens when you do that is that you draw the two cards of the four that you left <laughs> in, and you're opening hand. Yeah, I mean... And, you, and it looks like a good hand. So, no, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, no, it's really, yeah, very, very good skill to develop. It's something that, man, I really wish I could do better with. I used to take a lot more notes 
during like the weeklies and stuff. Um, and it's just kind of fallen off recently, but it's a good reminder to uh, get back in those good habits. But yeah. Um, I don't know. There's not a whole lot else on my docket to talk about this week, but do you guys have any other uh, things you want to get off your chest? Uh, one thing I, one thing I do, it may not be for this time, but it will be for uh, another cast is I want, I'm curious to know what do most people and what do you guys use when trying to determine what you expect to see, like what percentage of decks you expect to see at a, uh, at a paper tournament. Yeah. So I'm trying to figure out what is going to show up mm-hmm. at SCGQs. And if I think, you know, uh, 30% of the field are going to be, you know, chalice based decks, you know, fill in the other cards, but it's turn one chalice is the game plan. Then I want to be on a deck like Lazav. But if it's not, then I don't. And so I don't have, I'm, I'm just going off of like um, Moto results, but I know that the Moto field and the paper field are always very different yes, because yes, people will right. play what they play. I will say that uh, a thing I heard recently uh, from our friends at the Dead Format podcast was, you know what, if you're playing an SCG, expect to see a lot of Delver. And you kind of have to go to a bunch of SCGs to, uh, to know that that's the case. But I don't, I don't see a reason to not take that as an idea. Like, and that's, one, that's just one aspect. You talked a lot about when you were talking about the, your deck, Phil, about Eldrazi, and I think Eldrazi style decks are a lot more popular in New York than they are in Utah, for example, right? And I would say that to people who are going to New York, like you're probably going to see a lot of Eldrazi chalice style decks because that's popular there, you know? The the resource I use um, is MTG Top Eight, and then I will look at there's a pull down menu up at the top, and you can see live tournaments from the last two months, and that'll give you at least an idea of what non-MTGO stuff has been happening. Yeah, um, that's a good idea. And I think that's that's a really important uh, one one to do. And then I kind of base my uh, my my deck uh, by that. So like if we look right now at, at, at that, you're looking at like Death and Taxes, Eldrazi Aggro at uh, six and five percent, Blue White X Control, some miracles uh, at ten percent, <laughs> um, and Stoneblade at eight percent, Reanimator and Storm at five percent. Uh, and then, and then you know, you get like Grixis Delver at four percent, but like oddly, Grixis Control at six percent. Uh, you know, it, it's odd what you see come in at, at lower percentages than, than if you were looking at like a paper tournament, uh, or if you were mixing the two in the last two months, because uh, then you get yeah, the the numbers just sort of drop a little bit on on the control decks because they're a pain in the butt to play on Magic Online. Uh, aside from Grixis Control, which goes up a little bit, um, but you get more Eldrazi Aggro, um, you get more Storm. You know, uh, it, it's it's interesting to see what the difference between uh, online and uh, and paper and paper uh, does, and I think that that's a, a really important thing to consider when you're making a sideboard guide. Like, what are you going to see at these tournaments? Yeah, bring all that stuff together. I was gonna, I was gonna say the next thing to say, like Grixis Control is excessively popular online. And one of the things that might happen is you might bias yourself through test online to assume that that's going to be everything you play against. And uh, that's not always the case in the live tournament. Um, I trying to remember the last big tournament I went to. I guess it was a tournament weekend. It was round one, Painter, round two, show and tell. So Painter is like a thing you may or may not ever see. So, <laughs> you know, that's why horizontal sideboard cards are good. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, I think that's the other. The other thing is like choosing choosing cards that are good in, you know, uh, in, in particular matchups. One of the things that they talked about, which I thought was really interesting, was like sort of rating your sideboard cards in different matches. And like, yeah, if you have like a a card that's like a ten against one deck, but like against all the other decks, it's like a two. But you kind of would bring it in, or you can have a card that's a six, uh, and and it's a six in a lot of different matchups. Um, you want to go with the six, you know, if, if, it, yeah. if it makes more sense. Unless, like, you know, you just definitely want to beat that particular deck, then, you know, playing, j- just jam four Graph Diggers cages into your sideboard and, you know, go to town. But, well, uh, that, again, it gets to, like, how good is your main deck against certain strategies. Exactly. I mean, that yeah. also that also factors into it. Uh, um, but, yeah, yeah, I think uh, th- there's just so much to be said about, about the, the proper sideboard and, like, 
you know, uh, in, especially this week because I've been looking at other people's, you know, decks with Infect and stuff, just trying to get an idea of like what, you know, what a particular build looks like recently. You know, we lost Gataxi and Probe uh, a while ago, but people have obviously moved on since then. And, you know, like you get some weird stuff every now and again. You get like, there's a guy playing Jace Vrince Prodigy in his main deck, but he did relatively well recently. I'm like, is that a thing? Do we want to be doing that? <laughs> I think no. Um, but he's also <laughs> playing Regrowth. You know, like th th that's, uh, you know, it's it's out there. I, I don't know if, if it's good or bad necessarily. It's just different. So you, you want to get around and look and see what other people are coming up with um, to, to, you know, at least have an idea of what the current tech is. For, for whatever your deck is too. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, got, I, I have to hop off. Thing. I don't know if you guys. One more thing I want to bring up that yeah. you're going to want to hear, Nate. Just a quick idea. Yeah. You remember how uh, Shardless Agent used to cascade into Ancestral Visions? Yeah. Is it finally time to put Shardless Ancestral Punishing Grove package and Electro Dominance into a deck and make it happen? Oh. I think cascading into Electro Dominance is going to feel really bad. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> I knew that's where you were going. And I was like, yeah, well, you know, is Electro Dominance a better card than Shardless Agent? Maybe. No, no, no. You Shardless Agent and Electro Dominance, so you have all these ways to cast your Ancestrals. Wow. You got to have one in your hand. I mean, it makes it better. You cascade into a thing that you just use to cast a thing in your hand. Yeah, now you don't even need to set it up. You can have it in your hand or your deck. Wow. Yeah, all right. Okay. Cool, all right. that's all I have. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, all right. Well, I wanted to thank everybody, uh, all of our Patreon patron supporters. Uh, and, uh, you know, we uh, Phil just did the new uh, the new intro. I hope you guys like that. Uh, when we get up to our next fifty dollar mark, we'll uh, switch over and uh, we'll make we'll make Phil do another one. Uh, and, and we'll have a sort of uh, survey for that or, or whatnot. Uh, or he'll just do it on a whim like he did this one. But uh, I, we hadn't mentioned it yet, so I wanted to say uh, how how cool that was, Phil. Dude, I am I am, but a, a a rapper who plays magic, and I'm ready to do more '90s theme songs. Awesome. Um, yeah, I think that's it, guys. Uh, anything else? Not for me. All right. Uh, have a good week, weekend, everybody. Later on. start up a trial with audible you can go to audibletrials.com slash eternal dirtles and they'll hook you up with a free book and you'll be supporting the show thanks so much <laughs>